Hey guys, uh, I want to continue our teaching from last week on the um, high demands of leadership part two. You know, a lot of people, they want to be leaders, they want to be in leadership, and that could definitely be a call. But there is a cost. There is, and it's actually quite fun, but you have to know the behind the scenes, the challenges that you will face when you're called upon to solve problems at a high level like Daniel uh, was called to. So we're continuing our study of Daniel uh, called the Daniel Company. And I want to look at verses 24 through 28 because we stopped where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He wanted uh, his magicians and sorcerers and all those people to solve the, um, not only solve the riddle of the dream, but also tell him what the dream was. And if they couldn't do that, he was going to kill all of the um, the council, I guess you would say, the uh, his his kingly council, and that included Daniel and his friends. And so God gave um, him, you know, the dream and the interpretation. But we're in verse twenty four, and it says, "Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men." That's what I was looking for was wise men. I'm like, what is the name of the people that he was going to kill? Okay, so he ordered um, to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Okay? So Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of the dream, which I find funny because Daniel actually went to Arioch and told him. <laughs> but Arioch takes credit, of course. That's how it works in the world. Okay? <laughs> And uh, so then the king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? So Daniel replied and said, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions which you saw on your bed. Now, this right here um, is the place where Daniel's gifting is taking him before kings. There's a proverb that's, uh, Proverbs that says that, that your gift will take you before kings. Because of Daniel's devotion to the Lord, his uh, unwillingness to compromise, he is now the one that is able to receive from God the uh, dream as well as the interpretation, which is a solution to the king's problem. But what I also like is Daniel uses this as an opportunity to give glory to God and say there's only one person who can actually give the dream and interpret this, and this is the God of heaven. So he's using his position and his influence to bring God into the equation like all your other gods, they couldn't do it, but this God can because he's the one true God. And I like that. Um, I like that he is, you know, definitely giving God the glory. But, you know, when you go back to Arioch and how he says, I found someone who can tell you your dream and interpret. And we know that Daniel's actually the one that went to him. I mean, this is like politics. This is business. This is, you cannot have an ego. In fact, part of your work as a marketplace minister is to let go of ego. I mean, if you want recognition, you're going to struggle because well, and it can be on both sides, actually. You can struggle from people praising you 
and giving you rec rec recognition for a job well done and let that get to your head and pride and arrogance come in. Or you can get wounded and offended if someone doesn't give you credit. Both of those are tied into ego. And uh, one of the largest lessons, the most crucial, I guess you could say, that I learned was to live before an audience of one. And that's where your commendation comes from, God. Uh, now, that doesn't negate listening to counselors and those around you, but your final decisions have to rest between you and Holy Spirit. And you can take that counsel in and then take the you know necessary action. But you have to understand the way people think and work will have a filter, will have an influence on their counsel if they're not careful that can maybe lead you on the wrong path. So, for example, years ago when I was invited to go to Bogota, Colombia, Colombia is how you say it, I guess. Um, I had a friend that had a, you know, that basically instilled fear in me accidentally. She said, how do you know it's not this? Or how do you know they're not going to, you know, um, kidnap you for the sex trade? And I was like, well, the first clue would be that I'm 30 something years old. I've had uh, a child. I'm not really, you know, like sex slave material. You know, just saying. Um, and not only that, but I doubt they would pay for me to go over there to do that. Um, and then, you know, I'm like, what if it is something nefarious? You know, what if they found me on Facebook and they want to kill me or something? I mean, it's just ridiculous. So anyway, I had a dream and the Lord basically let me know you need to go and not listen to, you know, fear. And I did. And it was one of the most wonderful, uh, experiences I've ever had. Over 200 something people were born again. I mean, it was just really cool. But her concern for me caused her to say statements that actually instilled fear. So that's why I say you have to live before an audience of one. Another example is Paul. Paul's call, sounds funny. Paul's call was uh, to go before Gentiles, for before Jews, Gentiles, and kings. I believe it was in that order. Um, and so whenever he decided that he was going to go to Jerusalem, you know, the prophets, like legit prophets are saying, if you go and do this, you're going to be arrested. We'll never see you again. And they were actually trying to get him to change his mind, but he knew his call. He knew what God had called him to do. So even prophets can prophesy to you and you're like, no, that does not. That is not. Yes, that's going to happen. But you're adding your influence. You're adding your thoughts to what God is saying. God's telling me that these things are going to happen to prepare me. He's not telling me these things are going to happen for me to tuck, tell, and run. Now, sometimes, you know, God will warn you of what could happen if you go and it's outside of his will. But Paul knew that wasn't the case because he had his previous word, plus he knew God's voice. So one of the best things you can do is learn God's voice and at the same time live before an audience of one, meaning you don't need the recognition and you don't care if someone else gets it. Uh, and also, you don't allow recognition and praise to get to your head. One of the things that I do, because Holy Spirit has this amazing ability to make you look brilliant. Like people think you're the brilliant one and you're like, if you only knew, you know, so it's like, yeah, you can have some smarts, but you know, the things he tells you and the ideas he gives you, that ain't, that ain't, you know, you, it's, it's Holy Spirit, right? So it makes you look brilliant. Well, you know, people want to naturally honor that. And so whenever you get a compliment, this is what I do for myself. I say, 
we know who it is, Holy Ghost, on the inside, you know. Uh, now, if I'm um, feeling led, I'll tell them, hey, that was Holy Spirit. That wasn't me. You know, so sometimes you have to be covert. Sometimes you have to be overt. Here, Daniel is being covert, and he's saying the only one that could give me this information is God. So he also could have cared less that Arioch, um, you know, took the credit for finding him or not. But also what is amazing is, you know, you might think, well, why would God, because you know the dream. I mean, it was about the next four kingdoms. Why would God speak to Nebuchadnezzar about that? Well, God respects protocol. Nebuchadnezzar is a king over Babylon. The dream has to do with the first kingdom of Babylon and then the three succeeding uh, kingdoms. So he respects protocol. He respects authority. And so he's going to communicate to Dan or to Nebuchadnezzar. And a lot of people don't like that because they're like, well, he's a pagan. So what? He's in that position of authority. He was a tool of judgment against Israel. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, that God doesn't view things the same way we do. And yes, he's a pagan or was a pagan, um, obviously had ego issues and ended up acting like an animal eating grass for seven years because he was prideful. But God respects protocol and he also respects the fact that he is a man and that he needs to hear what's coming and also to enter uh, some revelation into God so that perhaps he might find him. So, you know, we don't need to um, get upset when God speaks to people that we think he shouldn't speak to because that's their position, right? So all of those things are tied to religious mindsets and ego and you got to get rid of all of that in the business. And uh, so in uh, Daniel 29, it says, while your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else. I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Now, I love this. So the word understand means to know, to communicate and to inform. It's primarily used in the books of Ezra and Daniel, and it's basically an unveiling of God's knowledge of the end from the beginning. Okay, so it's got a very specific uh, purpose, and it also is the desired and hidden meanings of life. So God wanted to unveil the end from the beginning to Nebuchadnezzar, and he also wanted to um, unveil the hidden meanings of life. My cat, can y'all hear my cat? This is ridiculous. Hang on one second. See, every time I come to this office, he wants in and out. Any other office in the house, he leaves me alone. It's like, what is up with this office? Do you not like this office? Did I decorate it weird? Is it not to your specifications? And then he's probably going to jump up here and get in my, my video. Yep. Every time. Every time. Can you move, please? This is ridiculous. You're... You're interrupting my Daniel company. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay. So he wanted to unveil hidden secret meanings. And I love that about the Lord. And that was his heart. Hey, you need to get over there. Okay. Now let's get to verses 31 to 35. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing. Really? Okay. Let me. I'm trying to conduct a training here. This is why I'm normally not in this office. Okay. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. 
It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its bellies and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. And its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold, and the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the entire earth. If you see me jarring, it's because the cat's over here and I'm having to pet them. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, and I think this is what might have scared Nebuchadnezzar is the phrase, the uh, wind blew them away without a trace. And it makes you wonder if maybe Nebuchadnezzar had some idea what the, the first, um, the head of gold was, that maybe it was his kingdom. But he's showing the fleeting nature of kingdoms. He's showing him the fleeting nature of being human, that at some point, we're all going to be as dust. And that caused fear into Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sure, because, you know, back in the day, they're pagans. They didn't have the God, the one true God, to, to know and to follow and any hope of eternal life. Um, they made up their own myths about it, but they couldn't know 100%. And so the meaning of life, you know, is that you only have one, and it ends and so you want to make sure that the life you're living is the life you were designed to live. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sure, is feeling that humanity, that mortality. And one of the favorite pastimes of kings back then were to act like they were gods uh, because they felt like if they did that, maybe they were eternal. I don't know. But um, I know in his culture, to be a king was to be either as if God or you were a god. So all are appointed to die except those that are appointed to be alive at his return. And so the impact that we have while we're alive, it needs to carry weight. It needs to give God glory. And so nations should be impacted by our influence. You know, we don't want them to just disappear as dust before their time to end badly. We want them to end well. And that's why we need to be involved in the marketplace. So that influence, it can be practical. It can be solving problems. It can be uh, bringing wisdom. It can be answering riddles and hidden things. And Daniel wouldn't have had this position if he was mediocre. So ex excellence is very important. So then he says in verse 36, that was the dream. Now we will tell you what, uh, tell, we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. It will have some of the strength of iron. But while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves 
by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. Okay, so this is showing the devolving of the kingdoms of the world. You know, you start out with Babylon, which was considered the greatest kingdom, is like considered the greatest of, of all the kingdoms to begin with. And then over time, you then had the Medo-Persian Empire that was very strong, um, but it wasn't as glorious or strong as Babylon. And it just goes on and on and on until finally you get down to the one with the feet of clay, the fourth one. So Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is a height of rule and reach. And so Daniel's very careful to give God glory for this. He's saying the only reason you're as amazing as you are as a king in a kingdom is because God. It's not because of you. It's because of God. He causes leaders to rise up and to fall. That's what he does. And uh, and we know more now from you know the rest of Daniel and he gets his own visions, which I've been diving into and have found some really neat stuff I'll be talking about in the upcoming weeks, is that the second king kingdom was a Medo-Persian empire. And that was the one that gave the decree for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild their temple and their nation. Uh, the third kingdom was Greece, which was kickstarted by Alexander the Great. And we'll get to, again, more detail on that. And then the next kingdom with the legs of iron, that was the Roman Empire. And notice that the, the Roman Empire was eventually divided to east and west. So, you know, there are two legs uh, to the Roman Empire. And then the feet with both iron and clay could probably represent a return of the Roman Empire in some form or fashion. Um, where there's like an alliance with other nations, other kingdoms, which we see that later on with the seven heads and the ten horns, which I'll get into. Um, and that's in Revelation. And, and then I believe Daniel gets into it a little bit as well. But it says through intermarriage, they're going to try to align themselves. Um, and it's not going to be as strong. There's going to be parts that will be weak, kingdoms that will be weak, kingdoms that will be strong. Uh, let's see. Now, um, intermarriage in the Aramaic means seed. And it's only used here. And it uh, means with the seed of men. So this is a mixing of people with the seed of men. It's a reference to people groups joining a community or a nation. So you could almost say melting pot. So Rome would be a melting pot, which actually they were a melting pot. And one of the things that's interesting about Rome, what actually caused their demise was open borders. It was, it was several things. It was the devolving of the culture, uh, the morality of the people, uh, it was an, uh, just an overwhelming amount of slave labor. And then also the final straw on the camel's back. Well, plus they were overexpanded in all these other nations as, as an army trying to subdue everybody. But um, there was a famine in Germania and they just crossed over into Rome. And it was the final straw that caused uh, a lot of problems and Rome fell. It was a gradual process. I mean, if you look at America, we're actually repeating history. And uh, so anyway, it's a mixture of people with the seed of men, and it's a reference to people groups joining community or nation. Those who uh, come afterward lack, now get this, the national spirit to adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. So like a lot of people are like, well, we should be patriots. We should be kingdom people. No, you need to be kingdom people that are patriots because it's the patriotic um aspect of America that will keep us together against people that are trying to tear that apart. So they're trying to equate patriotism with extremism. They're trying to equate patriotism with um, the MAGA movement. They're trying to 
connect patriotism with being a nationalist. And but patriotism is a part. In fact, our founding fathers knew that without patriotism, the country would not possibly survive. So you need to have in a nation that national spirit that causes you to unite as one. If you don't have it, then you have a bunch of people fighting for dominance. So we know that the Roman Empire not only took control of the Middle East, but they also took control of uh, Britannica, Germania, and more. And there wasn't that sense of unity or national spirit. And so the uh, kingdom divided, it weakened, it was too fragile to maintain, and then it fell. So in verse 43, it says, this mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will... Oh, I already read that. Okay, that was weird. Um, so I'm not sure why they say intermarriage. I mean, I know that in the past, that's what people did. You know, Solomon did that. That's why he ended up in so much trouble. But just think melting pot with no national spirit. Okay, so there's no way a nation can stay together. The Roman Republic was in place for about 500 years before it became the Roman Empire in 2733 BC. The last emperor was 476 AD. And at this point, Rome had been sacked like four times. And sure enough, the mixing of all the nations under the rule uh, weakened it militarily and uh, monetarily. Plus, Christianity played a, a huge role in its demise because they eliminated emperor worship. You know, over half of the Roman Empire was uh, Christian after the persecution that lasted for 300 years. Okay, let's finish up with verses 44 and 45. So during the reigns of uh, those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered, and it will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is tr true, and its meaning is certain. Okay, so Daniel is saying, during the reign of those kings... A rock cut from the mountain, not by human hands, will crush to pieces a statue, implying there is only one kingdom that is eternal, his. So no matter the height or glory of the kings or kingdoms of you know, Babylon or the, the next kingdoms, only his kingdom will rule for all ages forever and ever because it's sourced from eternity. And Jesus is the rock. He is its king. So he's God in the flesh. He's the only one resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father and the only rightful ruler of the earth. Now, in verse uh, 46, Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. Now, just real quick, this cracks me up. Daniel did such a good job. He was put in charge of all of the occultists. Like, that would be like a nightmare for Christians. <laughs> Excuse me? What? So you have a satanic cult that you want me to? Okay. Um, you know, I mean, it would, we'd probably say no, but Daniel's like, hey, whatevs, you know, and because of his work, actually, within the wise men, um, that's what precipitated the wise men that came to find Jesus when he was born. And by the way, it wasn't just three, it was a whole caravan, but Daniel trained them and they knew what to look for for the coming Messiah. 
So Daniel is appointed as a chief over the wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all of the affairs of the province of Babylon so Daniel could remain in the king's court, which I like. So Nebuchadnezzar's response, um, you know, he prostrated himself before Daniel and worshipped Daniel. So we've got a, a pagan that has no idea. He doesn't understand God. He doesn't know how this stuff works. Um, and, you know, so he gives, you know, he says, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. But he's prostrated himself before Daniel. So, you know, he's just getting a little bit confused, but that's, you know, he'll get it all figured out later. Um, but he does give God glory. He appoints Daniel to a high position as ruler over the entire province. Daniel is suddenly wealthy. And he then um, is now a confidant of uh, the king. So by solving one problem, he has wealth and he's made a ruler. And so that is what we're supposed to do in the marketplace. Solve problems. If you solve problems, you get paid well to solve those problems. But it also increases your place of rule and influence. But also, I don't want it to escape you guys that not only did it do that, it also, this kicked off a series of events where Daniel was able to see end of the age and future events. So your role in the marketplace should impact you spiritually where God begins to show you things to come in your nation, in your place of work, etc., etc. This is the kind of marketplace influence we need. And, you know, I mean... Nebuchadnezzar could at least recognize that it was God and he lived in a time pre-Jesus and a lot of people you know that we're dealing with they've heard the gospel and they've just rejected it so um, I think there was probably a little bit more lenience toward Nebuchadnezzar um, than you know maybe someone might get today so anyway just don't miss the fact that Daniel was able to solve a problem he was rewarded handsomely he gained more influence he was able to bring his four friends into a place of influence. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that would be three, not four, sorry. He was able to give uh, get them into a place of influence as well. And then also the this event opened the door for Daniel himself to have more insight. So there's no such thing as a line between secular and sacred when it comes to the marketplace. All of it is sacred because God owns everything in the earth. Um, and so our work is our worship and our worship should be our work. And when I say work, I don't mean, um, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, oh, what is it? Not trial, but, uh, toil. It's not toil. It's meaningful labor. So be open for God using you and allowing you to influence those around you and see what happens. It's pretty amazing. I've got some neat stories, but I can't share some of them because of just the, the people that, you know, I deal with and I don't want that to come out because, you know, we need to have some privacy on things that we discuss, but I can tell you what I'm teaching you works and I do it every day. All right, guys. Well, I will probably see you tomorrow for our urgent education. I haven't decided what I'm going to talk about yet, but it'll be something good. And so look for those lives and we'll do some urgent education tomorrow. All right, Daniel Company, see you later.